Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people on the planet. For June, we're focusing on hidden talents. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Susan Howell, who teaches at Campbellsville University. Her research interests reflect an integration of psychology and faith. Dr. Howell has looked at how our personality influences our faith experiences and what we want in our relationships with other Christians. Her latest book, Very Talents, specifically focuses on how gendered socialization influences our behavior and expectations. Dr. Campbell thoroughly enjoys helping students reach their professional goals in an atmosphere where we are free to integrate our discipline with our faith experience. Let's get into the interview. Dr. Susan Howell is a writer, speaker, and professor of psychology based in central Kentucky. He has written extensively on the topic of gender equality. Dr. Howell teaches classes on gender studies and integrating faith and psychology at Campbellsville University. Dr. Howell and her husband, a Baptist minister, have worked within the church throughout their 40 years of marriage to create more inclusive communities in the congregations they serve. During this time, they have consistently raised awareness and advocated for equality between women and men in each sphere of life. Dr. Howell's book, Buried Talents, opens the realm of traditional Christianity to show how God's love is more progressive and inclusive than many people think. Welcome, Dr. Howell. Thank you. Whenever I went to college, I had expectations of teaching, um, but I had planned to teach high school and English was always something that I enjoyed, so that was my plan. And then when I took, started taking psychology classes and really a lot of the courses, social science, I just realized that I'm so fascinated with people and the idea of spending my life doing that just sounded wonderful. And at the time, I had planned to become a therapist. That was my, that was my goal. And so I studied everything that I could about psychology and had plans of graduate school and one day being a therapist, and as I got into graduate school, I realized how much I really enjoyed teaching. And so then my, my career path took a slightly different turn, and now, of course, I teach and do research and writing, and, and it took on that. But I really love my job. I can't imagine doing anything else except teaching psychology to young adults. It's, it's just been a wonderful experience. Wow. And then, you know, one of the things that uh, I found interesting is that, um, you know, you also are coming from a faith perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, being that you also, uh, since you are married to a minister and that, um, and I'm making the assumption, of course, that, you know, you spend time outside of work sometimes with other colleagues that are studying um, psychology as well. Has right. it, uh, having that uh, faith perspective, has it given you a different insight would you say than maybe some of the other people that you um, uh, work with or socialize with that, uh, you know, that they may not have? 
Well, I don't I don't know that it has. Um I have I've taught in different different settings. Right now I am at a Baptist campus and the colleagues that I have there are also Christians and it's so I don't I don't find that that there is a big difference in terms of how we integrate our faith in with with our practice. I had also taught, however, at state schools. And even there, a lot of the psychologists that I knew that were on faculty at those schools had some type of a faith experience. And I didn't find that there was a lot of difference in the way we approach things. We all came at what we were doing from the aspect that it's good for us to study, it's good for us to apply the scientific method and understand people and human beings as really a part of our faith experience, believing that God created us and that it's we are to be good stewards of all God's given us, and if we want to be at work, I can make a difference for people, that it's a good thing for us to study God's creation, including Kiransky, and then learn what we can about what makes us tick, and how we can jump in and help people when they are needing help. And so I haven't actually found a big difference between my perspective and those of my colleagues. Like I say, even though Part of the time that I have been teaching, it has been at at institutions that weren't religious per se. Um, let's start at the top and talk about what, uh, let's define for people what is uh, gender um, socialization and how does that play out in society? Okay. Um, gendered socialization is anything that happens that tends to channel us in one direction or another based purely on whether or not we're male or female. And so, whereas that can be certainly some very overt, overt statements that were made to us sometimes, like, for instance, telling our daughter that you can't be that when you grow up because that's something that, that boys do or it's something that men do, or telling your son that, he shouldn't go into a certain line of work because that's something that's more suitable for women. Or, you know, whether it's something in our faith, for instance, telling women that they can't be a church leader or telling a boy or a man that they shouldn't stay in the nursery or cook for a potluck or whatever. It can be something that overt. But my book looks rather at the very subtle, implicit messages, the things that very often why under our radar? We don't notice. And I argue the fact that we don't notice those messages that are implicit makes them even more powerful because we can't counteract them. For instance, maybe our parents overtly say, you can be anything you want to be. But when a girl doesn't want a Barbie doll for her birthday, but instead would like on a chemistry set, or maybe their son likes playing with the kitchen set, and instead they push a ball into his hands and tell him to go up back and play, that even though those are overt messages, 
they still communicate something about what arena of life we should be focusing our attention on. And I argue that that is actually more powerful because if someone tells me, Susan, you can't do that because you're a woman, immediately I would notice that and I would act against it. However, when I'm given a subtle message, something that I don't even notice until tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, then it's already had an effect before I have realized what's happened. Yes. And, and, you know, one of the other things I think that people um, bring up and you, you know, um, doing these like, uh, you know, subtle um, things that we don't even notice that, uh, you know, have a gender socialization to them. Um, I feel we are in a a place in society where there's a a question because, you know, right now I would say gender is being questioned. I was going to say gender is being questioned in general, but yes, that's, that's true, true, actually. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and with that, uh, there's the, the other question, like, should, should there be, um, should there be, uh, should genders be defined and should roles of genders be defined? Like, um, and this is, and I'm asking you also because, you know, you you have both the um, psychology background, but also from a Christian faith background, which, you know, when we look at uh, specifically, I would say uh, monotheistic uh, religions, um, that in those religions, usually there is um, sort of a, um, you know, defining as uh, roles for male and female. And so, um, how should we approach those in society or should we have definitions or Here's another, uh, so, or are we looking at all at it all wrong? Well, I think that it's, you know, different cultures have had different gender roles, and we've, I look at it that when the Bible was written, there were different things going on in societies that maybe made it more appropriate. I don't know. I'm not a theologian, so I I really hate to address areas where it's not my expertise, but but I don't see that the way our society is set up now, it certainly wouldn't require that we have such problematic gender roles in the way we conduct the world or the church. For instance, today it is completely reasonable that a woman and go out and get a job and do the same kinds of things that her husband does because in our culture today, women are given the right to get an education and we have laws in place even that should protect, doesn't always obviously, but should protect her from being discriminated against at the work site and so on. And so there is no reason that we would have to have strict gender rules and yet we do still find that women do face more discrimination and you know lower pay scale and so on than than really is necessary. So, just in terms of whether or not those gender roles should exist, my focus has been in this book, *The Fairy Talents*, looking at how that plays out in terms of the work world and the church world. And I don't see any reason why those roles need to be set up and still so rigidly column in our world today. 
No, I, I think so because we are moving into, it's almost uh, like I was uh, talking to someone, like you don't have time. <laughs> I guess uh, this is my practicality coming out, but you don't have time to wait around uh, for someone. When you need to get something done, you have to like right. either learn how to do it yourself or do it. Um, right. Because things are moving, moving so fast. Like you can't be like, well, I can't do that because, you know, yeah. well, you can't do it. Well, <laughs> we'll find somebody that will and just, you know. Right. Um, uh, so, so right now, yeah, to, to be, uh, you know, I guess uh, set too rigid in a role, you might get right up over. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Essentially, because things are moving at a pace that, you know, I don't think we ever expected them to out right. here. Um, I think so. You know, yeah. uh, and so, you know, uh, there is that pull, though. Well, there is that uh, segment of society that's like, wait, 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 you know, this is not how it was supposed to be because of tradition and things like that. But in that, I guess, um, and, and so there are, there is a group and a such group, I would say, of uh, men and women that think this way. And so what do you think is really, I guess, uh, holding women back, I guess, from uh, uh, necessarily being all that they could be in, in the society? I think some of it is the fact that we focus so much on the overt socialization. Like I was saying before, we, for instance, if we have never had a parent say to us, oh, you can't do that because you're a man or a woman, then we assume that we had total freedom to go any direction that we wanted in terms of our career or in terms of our faith or what have you. And that isn't true. I think what I try to communicate with my students is that's great if you haven't had anyone overtly tell you that you can't do something. That's wonderful. That doesn't, however, mean that you haven't been influenced in a multitude of ways. And so what I try to get my students to see are all of the many ways that everything from the toys we're given as children to the kind of chores that we were assigned to the books that we were handed or that were read to us or the television shows that we were encouraged to watch, the number of women who were in leading roles as opposed to men, all of those things, even the textbooks that we read in school that basically made it look like the world, the norm for the world was being basically a white man and that if you weren't a white man that you were somehow thud par or you were somehow the exception to the rule and that you weren't really the main event. And so anything that was about women or anyone who wasn't white was very often put into a sidebar or a box or a diagram or a chapter at the end of the textbook. And in so many of those ways, the message is communicating to women that they are secondary. That their role is we would take care of all of the behind the scenes stuff so that men can go out and be the main event. One of the things that I talk about in my book are the chores that are very often assigned. We still, even in 2023, research shows that a girl is much more often assigned the chores that need to be done every day, like watching the young children or helping to cook dinner or throwing a load of laundry 
and the washer for washing the dishes. And boys are still by far given more of the chores, things that need to be sporadic, that need to be done sporadic. Like, for instance, helping dad work on the tar or helping dad to paint the house or fixing something when it's broken. And so even that communicates to these young girls that when you are out there as an adult working, you are also going to need to be doing these chores that need to be done every single day. And so you might want to think about a job that doesn't require you to be there as often. And so if we narrow then our choice of occupations to those which don't require that we be there as often, that we can leave early, that we don't have a big responsibility there, we're looking basically at jobs where we're not going to be paid as much. We're not going to have a whole lot of decision-making responsibility. And if we are then communicating with boys that what you do around the house is only going to be sporadic, so you have freedom to go out and find a job. And if it takes more hours of your day, that's fine because you're probably going to have a wife and she'll be the one that's cooking the meals and watching with children and making sure that the house is clean and that the shopping is done and clothes are laundered. And that right there sets boys and girls up for very different expectations about themselves later as career men and women. So, so in answer to your question, I think one thing I try to communicate my children and my students, basically everybody who will listen to me, is that there are so many subtle ways that we're told what we should do and what we shouldn't, what's expected of us and what isn't. And that has a far greater impact than so many of the overt messages. So I think that's a great place to start is for us to become aware of the subtle messages and then to take steps that we don't continue that with our own children and our nieces and nephews and grandchildren. So in my mind, um, what I uh, started equating things in, I looked, I was thinking out uh, about a piece of paper in my mind and I was putting one side was responsibility. The other side was called freedom. <laughs> and, right. and so that, and, and, you know, and I, I started thinking back to even my own childhood um, where, yeah, I was being kind of taught how to, you know, clean the house, uh, cook the dinner, uh, make sure, you know, all these things were, were done before you even go out the door. And, right. you know, brothers were just like, okay, get out there, have fun. <laughs> right. So, yes. Um, you know, and I didn't even think about that, but it's, it, uh, until you brought it up, but yes, you're not even, uh, uh, and you didn't even, um, double think about it when you were a kid. You just thought that's well, just how the way it was. Right. But right. now when I think back, I was like, I should have been out there and having fun. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and you know, whenever, whenever we're children and we're just given that, that's just, that's just what kids do. We tend to just accept that and. And I have students who will, whenever I talk about this in class, they'll say, well, but there's really nothing wrong with learning how to take care of a house. And well, of course there isn't. But why is it only that, why is it still that we tend to give more of those chores to the women or to the girls? And then they grow up to be women who see that as more or less their job or their, their, their responsibility. 
And and I think this kind of feeds into some of the stereotypes that we have today of the woman who knows how to do everything at the house and her husband's never going to wash the dishes to suit her. He's never going to do laundry to suit her. He's not going to know how to take care of the child. And she's sort of rolling her eyes and gritting her teeth about how, you know, it takes a woman to make this stuff happen. And maybe it wouldn't if we raised our sons to know that they were as responsible as their sisters are. The helping to get a meal, meal on the table or getting the laundry folded and put up or, or, you know, learning how to do outside work as well. So I think then if we did that, we might find that a lot of the narrative that we hear from couples who complain about, you know, I hear the women who complain that their husbands won't do things around the house. Well, maybe they would if they had been taught that that was part of their responsibility. Yes, and and I think we are we are at a time where of uh, that we can't, especially when we did not have access to uh, services and all those different things. Uh-huh. Uh, the the part that your partner in the house had to had to step up because <laughs> there right, was nobody right. else. <laughs> because you might catch you know this horrible virus and you know that would be the end of you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. so it was just like well. You know, this is a do or do or die situation, literally, sweetie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. So you're going to have to help because we might not make it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, um, you know, and and so yes, yeah, so I think this is like the 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 perfect time, and definitely, I'm sure you saw that for your book um, to come out uh, coming out, uh, buried talents. Um, that this is the time where people are the most open to it because they saw. One person cannot do all of this stuff and be okay. Or right. can the household be okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> like exactly. People, people literally started cracking, you know. That's why we have now this mental yeah. health, uh, you know, crisis and all this stuff that is unfolding um, because of the the stress and pressures that were being put on people, um, specifically, we'll say, uh, women, because um, we found that women... Uh, during the pandemic, they were likely to leave uh, the workforce, um, were, you know, uh, doing most of uh, 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 the taking because that was how um, the role was before. And it uh, compounded because not only now were they just doing the, you know, standard child care of, you know, feeding, clothing and making sure the child, you know, stays alive. But uh-huh. now they had the school, the schoolwork and then, you know, uh, and then, you know, uh-huh. uh, a little bit of therapy sessions for everybody in the household <laughs> as well uh-huh. and to, to keep, right. keep the whole house, uh, you know, running. Um, and then, you know, and then you had uh, a daily life thing and the ones that did continue working, then you had work that was also at home. <laughs> uh-huh. As I'm just putting this list, it already sounds like uh, we're just waiting for, uh, you know, a bomb to go off. And I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Cheryl Sandberg and her. Um, her company leaned and lean in, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And so, um, and with lean in, uh, for those of uh, our, our audience that are familiar with it, uh, lean in is encouraging women to, um, you know, uh, to be all they can be from a uh, from a career standpoint. So don't refuse that, um, you know, that uh, director position because now you know it's going to be um, more responsibility. Or, um, you know, or, you know, uh, take your career to 
uh, a different level of, you know, being able to go out there and be a, an entrepreneur, if you want. Uh, so, uh, so Lean In, the whole uh, program encourages women to, um, you know, thrive in their careers. Um, but one of the other things that people were like, well, um, during the pandemic, a lot of people saw that they were leaning in <laughs> and necessarily they, that, that it wasn't um, uh, necessarily what they, they wanted, right? And so what, why I'm bringing this up is that even in, um, you know, our, our gendered society and, you know, we, we've been pushing, I would say, both genders, but women more and more because uh, more households, women are actually um, now leading the way uh, in some cases financially in their household. Well, uh, and, and once we've gotten to that point, now it's kind of uh, uh, put things of, um, I guess my question is even coming up about choice. Like I feel like women have been not necessarily able to, to choose the life that they want. Um, and and um, I guess, how have you seen that play out for women? Well, I tell my students that a lot of times what we say is a choice isn't so much a choice. Like, for instance, if anyone, but very often it does happen with women, if a woman says, well, she made the choice to stay at home with her children. Well, it wasn't actually a free choice if she was always expected to do that and she was given the mindset that she needed to do that and she wasn't encouraged to get an education outside of, you know, whatever was required and she didn't have a lot of career options. And then when the child comes along, her husband is the one who has the job, the income, the insurance that's um, that is being provided for the family through his work. And then when she says, well, I made the choice then to stay at home, it wasn't so much a choice as it was pretty much the way it had to happen if they were kind of continue with their lifestyle and income and at the benefits that go along with this job. I think what would be more of a choice is if we raised our daughters the way we raise our sons, to let them know that they do have options and to encourage the higher education, encourage them to have a career, encourage them to follow their call and not to just assume that their call absolutely has to be um, getting married and having children because some women that isn't. But if we encourage everyone, male and female, to follow their and and then later, if they make that choice of what they want to do with their time, and that it does include being at home with children or going out and working or doing something part-time where they can do some of both, then if they make that choice, they can say that it is actually being a choice. So what I try to communicate with students is that for it to be a true choice, you have to have really good options. And if you don't, then it's not so much your choice. Yes, and I think, uh, you know, definitely uh, that becomes um, something that all women have to face when they make the decision if they're going to start a family or not. That's um, Yeah. Um, yes, because somebody has to take care of the kids. <laughs> so that's Right. And I think part of it is that we need to start 
training our sons too that being a dad doesn't mean that you get to go out to work every day and any sacrifice that's made with a career needs to be made by your wife. That men also sometimes need to be the ones to take off when a child is sick or if there is a need for someone to stop working for a while during a season of the family's life, that he should be willing to make that sacrifice as readily as he expects his wife to make. And not to say that men should always be the one to make the sacrifices. That system wouldn't be any more fair or any more productive than the But I do believe that boys need to be raised knowing that when they become a dad, they should make equal sacrifices, just as they expect their wives. And that sometimes they do need to be the one to take off the work or to deny a promotion or to come home because the child is sick and needs someone to be with them. And I think I just think that we need to raise children across the board where they know that they truly do have options and that some of those options will be in terms of taking fear of a family, and some of those options will be outside in the world of work. So I just think that we need to provide more of that to both boys. And I wanted to talk about, um, uh, when you finished that question, it brought up the idea of the helpmate idea to me and how people think of, you know, um, from a traditional uh, monotheistic uh, perspective, that, you know, uh, the subjugation of the other uh, okay. of women of being helpmate. But I was bringing up the idea of the stool with, you know, only one leg, that it doesn't, that helpmate, well, um, right. and the way people are understanding, is not like, uh, you know, if you don't have an equal-sized leg, it's going to fall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and from what you have, you know, from, uh, you know, written and how um, your perspective is that in this in the society of being able to see women that we are on the equal light level trying to hold the same stool up. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think a lot of times we don't look at it that way. I think instead we think of that word helpmate as something that's going to be like like an assistant or an underling. And I, I don't think that that's probably what was intended. Right, exactly. And I think, yeah, and I think that is something that I've seen misunderstood in, in you know, for a lot of people in religion, they're like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that because, but, you know, it, it, when we can, when I, especially when it comes to raising a child, right, a child needs um, all different aspects of the, you know, from two different uh, people or different, even different individuals. You know, they say it takes a village, right? So right, even right. the two people that, you know, brought the child in the world may not have all that the child needs. And so in that, it doesn't, it isn't um, an unequal um you know, uh, partnership, just as, awesome. uh, you know, it's just like, uh, I, I like to put it even as a company, right? So you have maybe an a, executive board, not everybody on the executive board can be doing the same role because it wouldn't make sense because then we just have people essentially working over each other, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, that I've tried to communicate in very talents and, and I know many other writers have done the same is that 
even when we had different roles as human beings, as individuals, as mom or dad or co-workers at an office or even within the church, we don't need to segregate those roles into what's the work of a woman or what's the work of a man. That is kind of like what you said early on in this is that if the work needs to be done, then somebody needs to do it. And so that that work doesn't necessarily have to be done by a man. And so I think that it's good when we have that freedom to follow whatever, wherever we're gifted. And that if a man is more gifted and since caring for children, or if a woman is more gifted in finance, then why does the, the nursery at church have to be staffed by women or the finance committee staffed by men? Right, exactly. And, you know, and, and I, and we are definitely in that, that world that we need to, to look at it that way, because I do not think that we're going to be slowing down anytime yeah. soon. I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to hope that, uh, I'm like, I, I actually, this is just a, a personal aside, but I, I feel like, um, you know, for me, I'm like, I need to even like, I got to work out more to mentally prepare because uh -huh. it looks like in five years, you're going to be like, you know, maybe doing computers in the air and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and everybody's going to be like, you, you meet you, <laughs> right. You're, everything's going to be digital. You know, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to get your water out of that faucet. You're going to be like, please, Alexa, I just want to drink. That's where it will be. Yeah, just, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and I'm just, uh, you know, that's coming from uh, over at my dad's house. He's like one of those people who means, you know, uh, uh, programmed everything. And so you're just like, okay, I want to leave. Please let me leave <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the door. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, um uh, so, you know, it becomes important. Now I want to dive into your book, um, uh, Very Talents, and, um, and look at it at um, how, you know, women are, you know, I want to look at two things, how women are holding themselves back. And I also, one of the things that becomes a, a big thing, and I'm sure you've encountered this, how even other women hold women back. <laughs> yes. Right. And, yeah. and how, you know, and how we can, um, you know, how we can overcome this. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do openly arch trying new things. I know that there are times whenever I've taught the gender studies course at my, at the university where I teach, where I will have young women and young men in the class who are very open-minded to considering another perspective and doing things differently in their own homes, in their future families, um, than what, what they experienced as children. And that doesn't seem to always fall in line with what you would expect. I know sometimes whenever I'll tell, I'll tell my colleagues that, you know, we had a discussion today and in class and some people were all for looking at new models of the way, ways of doing family and some people weren't. Sometimes my colleagues will say, they will assume that, oh, well, I guess the women must have been all in favor of looking to new ways of doing things that the, and the men weren't. They were wanting to keep things in kind of a patriarchal mindset. And I say, you know, it's not always that way. I have plenty of men that I teach in my classes 
who are very open-minded, and I frankly have some women who are not. So I don't, I think that, you know, as far as what will move us forward, and like you said, sometimes women came to, uh, I don't know the word that you use, but they seem to have this attitude about women, and it does tend to hold all of this back. And so I think that it comes down to whether you're a woman or a man, being able to consider the way you were brought up and consider what you believe to be true about men and what you believe about roles and what you believe about the Bible and being very intentional about living out your own beliefs and your own call in your future families rather than just falling in line with giving it the same way. And I think a lot of that comes down to whether or not you're open-minded and will consider other options. And I find that I find that to be one of the very positive things about the generation of students that I'm teaching right now is that, for the most part, the students that I teach are pretty open-minded. And I've been really gratified to see that. Sometimes they will, even when they themselves were raised with a narrow mindset, they will be pretty open about how they would like things to be different or their own children and in their own marriages and on future families. So I think there's a lot of room for encouragement um, and for for us to realize that the next generation coming along, they've got some they've got some ideas and they're not willing to just settle for something just because that's the way it's always been. Yes. Yeah. And and I think we, you know, we are like I keep I keep saying, but we're we're definitely um you know, facing different challenges, I think, than we have faced in past generations. Um, and so we can't, you know, look at uh, these, uh, uh, I'll just say future, or they're not even future, or current problems that are going to become uh, uh, right. future calamities. Right. <laughs> um, because <laughs> uh, that's where we're heading if we don't start uh, making changes. Um, yeah. So we're going to have to work together in a, a, a different way than we have before, um, you know, uh, one of the sayings I keep saying, there's just no sidelines. We don't have time. <laughs> yes. Um, and so one of the other things that I know in your book is about, you know, um, leadership and um, how women, you know, they side away from leadership roles, but now we have uh, in the U.S., um, other countries obviously have already passed on um, this idea and have had uh, female leaders in government, but we, for the first time, have a female uh, vice president, mm-hmm. whether we right. you know, uh, agree with her or not agree with her. She is still female, and it's um, well, you know something, something different. Um, what would you say that women can offer to leadership that um, you know, may have not been offered before? Well, I guess the biggest thing for me is that we are providing with every woman who does have the position of leader, we're leadership. We're providing girls and younger women the opportunity to see someone who looks like themselves reaching farther than maybe they thought they could reach themselves. And I think that that's really providing a wonderful service. And like you say, whether or not we 
we agree with this one or that one or the other one. I think just knowing that there are role models out there that are providing really good implicit messages for these girls that someone like you could reach this level of success. Yes. And so, um, you know, uh, the other thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, a sinful thing is like when you were when you were um, writing this book, uh, Barry Towns, um, because uh, why did you choose to to focus on uh, Barry Towns? Well, I think because I I really appreciate with the analogy that I I wrote about it in the Ephemer, where the analogy of the servant who buried the talents rather than using them and believing that that was somehow going to be acceptable. And I, I really like using that analogy here because so many women believe that they're doing the right thing by pushing their talents down. Let's talk about, I guess, in in order for, um, I guess, uh, women to... Um, like right now, I guess I would say that women are facing, um, <laughs> I guess not to be my uh, to be my unfiltered se- uh, self, I would say women are under the microscope and <laughs> need to make changes to avoid, I don't want to say extermination, but in a way. <laughs> but so that's why, that's what I, I believe women are facing, right? Um, because it's like everything that, um, that uh, we looked at women uh, traditionally to uh, to be and do and have um, is questioned, you know, across society. And so I think because women are facing um, uh, um, an examination like never before, how would you say um, that women should uh, proceed to show their their um, value not only to society but to themselves. I think that's that's what we're really facing. Like, um, it's that question for women: Who are you? <laughs> How do we answer that? I think the first thing is we have to know ourselves. And one of the things that I talked about in my book is building your identity and how the the different ways that we, as both women and men, form an identity what goes into that, and then what it does for us through the the remainder of our lives. And so I think one most important thing is that we have to be confident in who we are. We have to be willing to do self-examination and to put some thought into the identities that we develop and think about what what we want to be. And then once we, we go ahead then and live out our lives, live out our calling, live out the identity that we have, then I think that that will, we will be coming from a stronger position than to get people to listen to us. I think that if we are confident in who we are, that's going to come through. And we have to be willing to not be afraid to be who we are in our homes, in our churches, in the workplace, in the world, in the community. And I think that that has to start, though, with our developing a sense of who we are within ourselves. And so I think that's a really good first step. And one thing that I do in the book is I talk about what goes into that 
and that if you're struggling with it, what you can do to help yourself to develop a sense of who you are. Yes. And I think, yeah, and I think that just hits, it hits, um, you know, um, it answers so many things. And I think it is the, it is the, the definition of um, the time that we are is that right now it's the time to define who you are and what you're for and what you're doing um, here on this planet um, because it's not going to slow down for you. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And ideally, if we can develop that, you know, in our teen years, at our early 20s, that's when, um, that's when it, well, it's not that it gets completely developed by then, but it's certainly the time of our life when we, put a lot of thought for the first time, put a lot of thought in the VR. And that's wonderful, but it, there, it's never too late to do that. And so, so women who are reading the book or listening to the podcast or on a journey of trying to determine who they are and what they're in, is, it's never too late to develop that. And so a lot of the, the techniques that I talked about in the book hopefully will help people of all ages to be able to put thought to who they are and do take control over the, the the identity that they're developing and how they're presenting that to the world. Yes. So I encourage everyone to read um, Dr. Howell's uh, book, uh, Buried Talents, um, you know, uncover, uncover those talents that you have been hiding because the world needs them more now than ever. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. Howell for your time and insight. If you'd like to know, learn more about Dr. Howell, you can go to her website, um, SusanHarrisPowell.com. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or simply want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.work to start your project of change today. In May 2023, we'll be having our first annual Changemaker Conference. Register to attend now. We're still in the early bird uh, rates, so take advantage. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we're focused on what matters. 